0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org events.
1: It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ.
2: A hundred years ago in Chicago, two rival violent gangs were killing each other over territory, drugs, and gambling. They weren't Italian. They weren't Irish. No, these were Chicago's Chinese gangs, also known as Tongs. Never heard of them? Well, that's kind of how they wanted it.
0: Warfare between the two Tong gangs was an insulated, secretive affair.
2: This is Richard Lindbergh. He wrote a big, fat book called Gangland Chicago. And it's got extensive chapters on the history of Irish and Italian gangs. But on Chicago's Chinese gangs, you only get a few pages.
0: Asian crime in Chicago is not well documented simply because it was conducted under the veil of secrecy for most of its history.
2: But I decided to try and crack this veil of secrecy to answer a question Curious City got from a listener who asked, how did these gangs get started and what happened to them? It turns out the answers actually reveal a lot about a mysterious 1936 murder in my own family and how many Chinese businessmen were forced to deal with the gangs or face the consequences. But more about that later. So who exactly were the Chinese gangs or Tongs and how'd they get to Chicago? Lindbergh says there were two main factions, the Hip sing, and On Liang. They arrived in the U.S. in the 1860s with early Chinese railway workers, and they offered protection for their members. This came in handy when Chinese workers came under attack for driving down pay here.
0: So as a means of self-protection, the Chinese community brought this into the United States and then divided along the two traditional tongs of sing and On Leong, which were the principal rivals in the 17th century in China.
2: These two rival factions operated from San Francisco to New York and in just about every big city with a large Chinese population. By the early 1900s, both chapters had established themselves in Chicago. The Tongs were secret societies. They were involved with drugs, gambling, and violence. But they also helped with business development and immigrant resettlement. And they solved all kinds of disputes in the Chinese community.
1: I could tell you what I know, but, you know...
2: Uh, okay. Chicago and Nancy Tom married into a powerful Chinatown family in the nineteen fifties, and she remembers what life was like under these gangs.
1: If anyone got into trouble and everything, they would go to on Liang and they would find a way to protect them. All of it was for a fee
2: and when you say got into trouble, what do you mean say
1: they stole money
2: all the way down
1: to they would handle if he had family problems cheating on each other or, say, uncle stealing from another uncle. They would settle all of that.
2: The settling could mean refereeing fights or getting one party to pay the other back. Tom says her own mother-in-law turned to the On during a family disagreement about money. They didn't trust
1: the outside because they didn't understand what was going on. So it would be better to fight with your own.
2: So for several decades, these tongs served as the banks, casinos, courts, and family counselors to the Chinese community. But there was also that dark side, largely hidden from the outside world and a younger generation of Chinese. It involved mysterious revenge murders between the two gangs. They happened in the early part of the 20th century and were known as the Tong Wars. My generation, and even my dad's, that meant you'd have deaths in the family you weren't supposed to ask about. Take my great-great Uncle John Eng. He was gunned down in 1936 by a killer who was also after my dad's dad, Grandpa Harry. Each year, when we visit our relatives in the Chinese cemetery, we get told the same incomplete story. The same one my dad recently repeated here at Uncle John's grave.
0: Well, he was working in a restaurant. And unfortunately for him, somebody was trying to kill Dad and came to the restaurant, found him, and Dad had gone, and so that's why we're here.
2: But did we ever know, like, why they were after him? I don't know, dear. But elders, like my 92-year-old Uncle George, turns out they did know. Uncle George was a hip-sing leader. A few years ago, I recorded him talking about our family history on my old BlackBerry, so it's kind of hard to hear. But that day, he opened up about Uncle John's murder.
1: I know this case quite well, let me tell you this. Happened in lot called the Tong War.
2: He said he knew the case well. And it was connected to those long battles between the gangs they called the Tong Wars. He said Uncle John's murder and Grandpa Harry's near-murder were part of the Tong Wars. And according to Uncle George, we brought it on ourselves.
1: The old Chinatown used to have one rule.
2: Chinatown had one rule. And that rule said when someone's got a good Chinese restaurant or laundry business going, you did not open up another one nearby. But my Grandpa Harry kind of did. According to newspaper accounts of the murder, he opened up a place in Garfield Park right around the corner from a guy who already had a successful place. So, On Leong intervened. They sent an enforcer to kill my grandpa, but they got his Uncle John instead. And the way my grandpa avoided the same fate was to join the On Leong. This allowed my grandpa to stay alive, build a restaurant empire, and have six kids. One who'd be my dad, which means I got to be born. This story from Uncle George explains a lot about how the Tongs enforced rules, sometimes with murder, or they could be bought off with a hefty membership fee. Uncle George says the revenge killings continued into the 60s, when the, quote, big shots of the On An Leong and Hipsing finally held a peace summit in Washington, D.C.
1: All the big shots get to Washington, D.C. We talk about it, why we have to kill each other. We should settle down without all these killings.
2: And largely, the killing did settle down, with some sporadic breaks in the peace. But mostly, Hipsing did its thing on the north side and on Leong on the south side. That is, until 1988, when with an informant's help, the FBI raided both tongs. This led to indictments of Chinese leaders and investigations into the cops and judge who helped them. It also shut down their gambling shops. And Uncle George said that hit the tongs hard.
1: So Chinese gambling stuff is all finished.
2: With the gambling finished, he says new membership really dried up. Other groups rose up to fill the same social service needs, and the Chinese turned to regular casinos for gambling. But that's not to say the Hip Sing and On An Liang are gone. Both still have small offices in Chicago, but neither answered their phones or would talk to me when I paid a visit. The Chicago Police Department wouldn't say if it's still monitoring the two tongs or any Asian organized crime in the city, for that matter. So I thought this might be the end of the line. Until I did an interview the other day with a restaurant owner for my food podcast. His name is Paul Sang, and he recently joined the Hip Sing. So I asked what the Tong is up to these days.
1: This day, Hip Sing is like a social club. We just play some ping pong, uh, sing karaoke upstairs, something like that.
2: Ping pong, karaoke, maybe that is all they do these days. Reporting on this story comes from me, Monica Eng. Production by Justin Bull. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation.
0: Hey, Curious Citizens. We are working on a story about tequila. One of the men most responsible for popularizing tequila in the U.S. was Don Francisco Javier Salza. And he lived in Chicago for a while in the 1920s. We'd like your help reporting this story, and we know it's kind of a long shot, but it would be super exciting to find any record of Sousa's time here. So here's what we're looking for. Do you have any idea where we could find photos or recordings of Salsa's Mexican folk band, the Yucatan Troubadours? Are there letters or diaries that mention Salsa or his band? Are there documents mentioning tequila Salsa for sale or Prohibition-era bottles of Salsa still floating around Chicago? If you have any clues, you can email CuriousCity at WBEZ.org or tweet us at WBEZ Curious City or message us on Facebook. And stay tuned for the story. Next time on Curious City, how can Chicago support so many Mexican bakeries, sometimes right down the block from each other? Well, some have loyal customers from all over Chicago and beyond.
1: And they come with their suitcases, fill their bread up, and, okay, we're leaving to Mexico. Or oh, we're going to Florida. Or oh, we're going to Texas. It's unbelievable.
0: The neighborhoods are changing, which can be tough on business.
1: I would love to stay in Pasadena. Uh, the rents are getting high.
0: Making it as a Mexican bakery. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City